Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. All right, it's National Signing Day, early signing day on Wednesday. What will that mean to Florida State, University of Florida? Is this the biggest event that's going to occur for the Gators and kind of chart the course for Billy Napier? USF has the best recruiting class so far in the American Athletic Conference. We've got lots to talk about with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers college football for us. That coming up in just a moment. Uh, first, I wanted to start just sort of picking up on the Devin White situation, and we will uh, have a chance to talk again with Todd Bowles later today, perhaps even Devin White, who tweeted out that uh, he doesn't understand why he wasn't consulted or talked to about his situation. He did that on social media. We've offered him an opportunity to do just that. Didn't have a response from him and or the Bucks regarding where that stands. Hopefully he will uh, face the media and explain just exactly what went on Sunday. But I'll tell you who thinks he knows, and we reported this, so it backs up the conversations we have had, and that's Richard Sherman, who is a former Bucks cornerback with plenty of ties to this organization even today. And he, of course, appears on uh, Undisputed, on FS1 and Sirius X, uh, XM, and, of course, you know he's there with Skip Bayless and others. Here's what Richard Sherman shared about his insider information regarding Devin White, quote-unquote, getting benched on Sunday. He was on the inactive list. Todd Bowles has said that White told him he couldn't go, but Bowles did not really say whether White was injured, only that, you know, you'd have to ask Devin White, I guess maybe his, you know, he surmised his foot might have been sore. Here's what Sherman had to say. He said, the conversation that I had to understand was they said they would rotate Devin White and K.J. Britt. They would rotate them, and they would start K.J. Britt against the Packers, but they would bring Dave, They would bring uh, Devin in, and they'd flip-flop them. And Devin said he wasn't about that. I'm not a rotational player, not a rotational guy. I like to start and finish the game. And Sherman says, that's understandable. He's been a great player in the National Football League. He's been a pro bowler. But clearly he's fallen out of grace with Todd Bowles and this defense for some reason. Uh, I find this exactly what I've been told, which, and, and not, you know, randomly, but by people within the organization. And that is Devin White was not going to start that game, even if he agreed he was healthy. And look, just so you guys know, uh, if a player says he can't go, it's not like the organization can make him go. Uh, but he was cleared to play, and he was cleared by trainers. Coaches stay out of that altogether for obvious reasons. And so he practiced fully participation on Thursday, full participation on Friday, never appeared on an injury report on Saturday. As recently as a couple hours before the game, we got notice from the Bucks that there had been a status change with Josh Hayes, who became sick. And couldn't play. We got that notification. Uh, we got notification on Saturday, I believe it was, that Vita Vea was upgraded to questionable. Um, and so the, the league requires teams, if there is in injury information, to disclose it 
and it's generally disclosed publicly because, of course, the big secret in the success of the NFL is what? Gambling. And that's why you have an injury report in the first place. Everybody wants to know who is who is actually going to play. Um, so for Richard Sherman, who, again, has an awful lot of, of, of contacts here within the organization, uh, finds out almost verbatim what I was told, and that is that K.J. Britt was going to start and that they were going to sort of bring him in and out of the game and they would rotate, and that was not acceptable to Devin White. Now, if he says he can't go because he's injured, no one can force him on the field. But this still smacks of, hey, I'm not the team guy. Uh, I'm not going to do what I can to help this team win. Because if you don't start as a, as a linebacker um, to get a helmet on Sunday, you got to do other things like cover kicks on special teams. And Devin White doesn't see himself as that guy, nor was he willing to accept that role. And it'll be interesting to see going forward what role that he will accept, if any, and whether or not the Bucks feel like they should put him out there. I've said this. If I'm a player on that football team and we won three in a row, I don't want Devin White to play simply because I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if I can trust him preparing. I don't know if I can trust his effort because he's sort of, at least so far, uh, based again, based on all the conversations we've had and others have had, uh, he's demonstrated that he's putting his own interests ahead of the teams. So that's not the guy you want to go to war with in the, in the National Football League at crunch time coming down the stretch here when they play Jacksonville. We'll get more on that today, hopefully more clarity or perhaps more hilarity, I'm not sure which, over at One Buck Place when we attempt to talk to Todd Bowles and, and or Devin White. We made ourselves available to him yesterday. There was no takers, so we'll see if he's available on uh, later this afternoon. Uh, okay, we're going to get to Matt Baker here in just a minute, but first I want to tell you guys that for the past 14 years, the skilled pros of May Electric Solar, they've been installing solar energy systems in Florida. Now they provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods and service, while helping homeowners cut energy costs with an environmentally friendly investment. May Electric Solar uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors. They've always offered the safest and most reliable equipment. Well, now May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement and labor warranty. That means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insure, means that your roof, electrical equipment, and everything else is that's your equipment replacement is covered. Uh, so Solar Insure even survives May Electric Solar. It's owned by the homeowner. There's no deductibles or additional fees, and this policy will transfer to new homeowners with no fee. This is not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of workmanship has earned them this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, here's the number. Call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, favorite time of the week, and we're running out of them in college football, but this one's very important. We get a chance to talk to Matt Baker, covers college football for us at the Tampa Bay Times. And, Matt, you wrote the following. This is maybe the most important week for Gators coach Billy Napier. I'm guessing it has something to do about Wednesday being early signing day, but explain. Yeah, and thanks for having me on. It's absolutely early signing day, and it's recruiting. And you know, it's kind of an old saying in college football. If you can pound the wins, you pound the wins, right? You, you tout your record. If you can't pound the wins, you pound recruiting. And if you can't pound recruiting, you pound the table. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, Billy Napier's 11 and 14. You, you can't pound the wins. 
But for most of this past cycle, really the past 11 months, he's been able to pound recruiting. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the 23 class was fine. It wasn't great, but it was fine. It was acceptable. But this 24 class was the one that was going to be special. This is the one where it was the proof of concept for Billy Napier as a recruiter, which, again, just just remember, why did he get this job? He got this job because Dan Mullen, in large part, was not a good enough recruiter. He was Mm -hmm. a good evaluator, generally, and he could get enough players. He just couldn't get enough of the big ones, and you saw that against the Georgias and what have you. But Billy was the opposite. Billy, you know, was a recruiter. Um, he recruited well in Louisiana, recruited well when he was an assistant at Alabama. On day one, he said, this is a talent acquisition business. So he knew it and understood mm. it. And that was a big one of his major selling points. And this was going to be the proof of concept. This was the breakthrough year where you could see Billy as the elite recruiter that he needs to be if he's going to get to where he wants to get. And again, for the last 11 months, you could see it, you know, over the summer, uh, heading into fall, they had the number three recruiting class in the country. It slipped. It was down to five at the start of the week. Now, mm. as we're recording this, what is it? Nine thirteen Tuesday evening. It's 10th in the country. I, I'm using the two, four, seven composite. I think that's the best. Yeah. So yeah. that's our metric here. So now they're down to 10 and mm. depending on what happens, you could see it slipping some too. Um, going going further down, and that's kind of into that Dan Mullen recruiting territory, where it's what's so different, and, and or it, you know if it's he if he's able to hold on to some of the key pieces, obviously the biggest one is DJ Lagway. He, he was just named the National High School Player of the Year by Max Preps on Tuesday. Wow. Uh, you know, five star quarterback from Texas. He is by all accounts the real deal, and he is the Gators' biggest recruit since Tim Tebow. No, oh, wow. he sticks. Um, and I say assuming he sticks because all commitments are non-binding, disclaimer, mm-hmm. disclaimer, disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if Billy's able to hang on to him, then that's going to be a huge selling point. That, that's the proof of concept. And that's what's going to have to do if, if it, you know, if some of the other pieces around it um, crumble, you know, like does uh, LJ McRae, a, a five-star defensive lineman from Daytona Beach, does he flip to Florida State or Auburn or something? Um, Amarius is, is another blue chip uh, lineman that you know looks like Auburn might be able to get him. So with some of these defections that have already happened, I think it's six, uh, from my math is right, I think it's six blue chip decommits in the last month and a half, or maybe it's four or five. Anyway, a bunch of decommits in the last month and a half. Mm. Um, it, the perception is not good. So this, just, this is just the time where Billy's got to close. He absolutely has to close and end up with a top 10 class um, to show something, things going forward. I mean, it's obviously going to play into what happens on the field this year. Um, But I think just in the terms of perception, where if this goes sideways and there's a bunch of flips the wrong way on Wednesday, it's going to be really hard to see how it gets better. It's going to be really hard. You know, we're going to look at it as kind of, I'm I'm trying to couch my words here, but we could look back on this as the point of no return. Hmm. Well, um, let me ask you this, because for those who don't understand, so early signing day, if if these athletes do sign with the University of Florida like Lagway, are, they, are these binding agreements or could they change their minds still again? Yes, they are binding. Yes, they could also change their mind still. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. Um, you have to remember, this is the... 
and I say this with with all all the love I have for college football. This is the dumbest system and and, and <laughs> it really is thing on the planet. It really um, is. In theory, you know, if DJ Lagway signs on Wednesday, mm-hmm. he is going to the University of Florida. However, literally one year ago at this time, Jaden Rashada signed to play quarterback at the University of Florida. Yes, he did. did not play a single down at the University of Florida. Oh. Did not play a practice rep. So we have seen this go sideways in the past. But generally speaking, yeah, if he if DJ Lagway, whoever it is, signs with the Gators, he plays for the Gators. That's that's how it's going to go. Now, how long does he stay? How long does anybody stay with the portal? That that's unknown. But it, this is the day where the non-binding oral commitments, with all the the disclaimers that I always make, that goes away, and this becomes an official thing. I'm glad you mentioned the portal because. Recruiting was and still is the lifeblood of college football, and it's always been, you know, sort of the great unknown. I mean, you're talking about 17, 18-year-old kids. How do we know what they're going to be, right? But um, having said that, how screwed up is recruiting now that you have not just the NIL, but but all the, the transfer portal? I mean, you've got – look, I I kind of said, well, that's it. I'm out when Ohio State – Ohio State, the Buckeyes – who were just a Michigan win away from playing for a national championship, perhaps, lost their quarterback, for goodness sakes. Kyle McCord, not to, you know, Alabama or LSU. This dude's going to Syracuse. Now, I might be wrong, but I think that Ohio State's probably a better program than Syracuse, even at this juncture. So Really going out on a limb there. Yeah. So, like, how do you even... You know, how much does the transfer portal now impact the recruiting? Because I'm signing with a team, and, and you know, here comes the quarterback from Ohio State, and then all of a sudden I better go find some place to play. It, it affects it tremendously um, in a zillion different ways. And we could talk for an hour just about this. But um, on the global level, it affects things because there's – if if okay, take Syracuse as an example. If Syracuse is taking – a transfer quarterback, then the need for them to take a high school quarterback is less. And let's let's say Syracuse takes five transfers this cycle, thrown out a number. Mm-hmm. Well, that's five spots that aren't available for other guys, which mm-hmm. which generally means high school guys. Right. So you're seeing again global level. Your you know your five stars, your four stars, your top three stars. They're 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 fine. They're, they're, they're okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the you know somebody who maybe they would have been the twenty fifth guy on the Gators recruiting class is now uh, maybe that's a USF target. Mm. And uh, the 25th guy, 24th guy with USF, maybe they are a Toledo target. And the 24th and 25th guys and, and 20th guys at Toledo, maybe they're a you know FCS program. And, and that's the, the kind of weird trickle-down that we see where there's more – some of the recruits, maybe they're a – Maybe they go lower than if you take that guy and transport him back 10 years, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, that's one aspect here. Um, how teams are approaching their roster building as a whole is very interesting. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Florida State and, and what the Knowles did under Mike Norvell, where you know they, they used the transfer portal a lot more than maybe they wanted to, and, and honestly better than anybody else in the country this past year. Yeah. Um. Now we're seeing Florida State pivot more toward high school just because they've been able to get that 
groundwork done and you know they've got a top four top five recruiting class we'll see where it ends up at the end of the day wednesday but you know a top four or five an elite high school recruiting class and not as much with the portal but Ole Miss, to me, is what is a fascinating example right now. Um, you you look, they've got, as of recording, I think they've got commitments from 10 transfers. Uh, Juice Wells is a blue-chip uh, receiver coming from South Carolina. Prince Leumon Mielin was uh, Florida's best pass rusher. Um, so that was a big loss for the Gators, but a big get for Ole Miss. Uh, there's a lot of speculation they're going to end up with uh, Walter Nolan, who's one of the top couple of recruits in the country, signed with Texas A&M a couple years ago. I say that because Ole Miss is building out a roster that is capable of winning this season. Hmm. And if you look at their schedule and the way it's shaped up, I don't think they play Georgia. I don't think they have Alabama. So they're in a situation where, you know, if I'm Lane Kiffin, if I get the right guys, I, I don't care about 2025. That's completely irrelevant. Because if I get the right dudes and maximize this window where my schedule is right and we're going into the 12-team playoff, and I can get in all these transfers who can play and help me get over the hump this year and get into the playoff, that's huge. That's that's all that matters. And then mm-hmm. who the heck knows what happens once you're in the dance. So it's just very interesting to see how the different schools are approaching it in different ways. Um, you know, Some by necessity needing to go portal, some thinking high school is still the way to do it, and then some kind of you know mixing and matching in the middle based on who it is. It's just a weird... Um, a weird mix of how everything's going on. And again, because this sport is stupid and makes no sense, they're happening at the exact same time where, you know, you're going to have announcements for transfers on Wednesday, on signing day, everybody, everything happening all at once rather than spread out. Yeah. Yeah. It's really drinking from a fire hose here a little bit. Um, I, I was impressed with USF and how they finished the season. The fact that they're, uh, in the Boca Raton Bowl against that very Syracuse team we just mentioned. And, of course, uh, that that's an accomplishment, right? Um, but a bigger accomplishment might be that at least a little while ago, the Bulls had the top-rated class in the American Athletic Conference. So what's the word on the streets? Because when he got here, he said, and a lot of people say this, that he'd be the most tireless recruiter. It seems like he's backed that up, Alex Golish, I mean. Yes, he has. I mean, this is a class that, as we sit here now, it's number one in the American. It's been number one in the American a while because I remember, I think it was preseason media day, I was asking Alex Golish about kind of what had been working. And I I asked the question awkwardly and and mentioned that, you know, stuff's going to change. And I made it sound like that USF wouldn't be number one in the American. I just meant stuff's going to change in general. Mm. Um but here we are, what, four months later, whatever it is, they are still number one in the American and by a, a good amount over East Carolina, uh, 51st in the country. Um, Jonathan Eccles is a tight end, a blue chip tight end from IMG Academy. He would be, I believe, the number seven recruit um, in, uh, you know, yet USF has had in this kind of modern modern recruiting era. And again, whether it's seven, eight, whatever your your, your numbers are, the point is, He's a really good get, assuming everything works out there. Again, standard disclaimers. Um, so yeah, he's Alex has been re- recruiting at a very high level to the point where this is, I mean, this is what USF needs to do. They're in a situation where with everything going on with realignment, with the momentum from the stadium, they kind of need 
not not in the same way as Ole Miss needs to win now, but USF needs to make a push. And if you're recruiting at a high level as one of the better group of five programs in the country and, and the best by a good amount in the American, that's what you need to do. And he's, he's putting it together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the one question I had, and I had a bunch of them, but the one that, that I was left with, I guess, when all this was said and done in Florida State, was snubbed as far as uh, a chance to play for a national championship despite their 13-0 and record, was this. How might this affect recruiting? Because if I'm a player, as good as Florida State is, and as much as I may like the rolling hills up there in Tallahassee, if I think that this could happen again, if somebody broke, breaks their leg and we don't make it into the semifinal, I know they're going to expand the playoffs, but let's just play along with the, the, the idea here. Um, did any of this, has any of this had an impact on their recruiting? Not yet that I can tell. We'll have a better idea by the end of the day Wednesday. You know, they've got uh, KJ Bolden, who's a you know top twenty uh, player in the country, a five star athlete in Georgia. He's been committed to FSU since August, and I think he will probably stay with Florida State. But Auburn and Georgia have been after him. Um, Armando Blantz, a, a five star uh, defensive lineman from Miami Central. A lot of people think he's going to end up flipping to Miami. And again, I'm not saying that these are the reasons why, but maybe there's some, maybe there is a little bit of sting from that. But but generally speaking, no, I, I don't think it's been an, an an issue. Just because you have to remember, recruiting is such a it's a long game. There's so many factors going on with it, and you know the the, the players that Florida State is recruiting and has commitments from. All of them or almost all of them, the staff has been working on them for a very long time. They built relationships, not over like a couple of weeks, over months and in some cases over years. So you're, you're not necessarily going to just take that that loss and as bad as it was and let that overshadow the months of building with relationship. The fact that, as you said, the playoff is expanding. So, you know. Florida State goes 13 and 0 next year they're in the playoff it doesn't matter. Um you know would they be the 4 seed or the 5 seed that's the conversation but but they would be in and if they win 11 games 10 games they're they're probably going to be in. Um so th- those type of things I think are kind of make it not matter as much. Although it's I I am sure that's something that's been talked about on the recruiting trail if you're Kirby Smart or Hugh Freeze or whoever it is why, why would you want to go there? They did literally everything they were supposed to do. And they didn't get in because the SEC had to get in. I'm sure those conversations are happening, but I don't know how effective they've been thus far. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I know where conversations are happening as well. And and listen, politics and sports sometimes make for strange bedfellows, but uh, the Florida Attorney General is looking into this playoff snub by Florida, uh, of Florida State. And even Senator Rick Scott wants a couple answers. You had a chance to talk to the senator from Florida. Just tell me about your interactions with the politicos here over this whole situation. 
Rick, I, I just just remember this, and dear listener, listen to remember this as well. When there's all the, you know, somebody's some sports figure says something, and you go, oh goodness gracious, stick to sports. Well, well, politicians don't stick. To politics. <laughs> no, they don't. And again, this isn't a red or blue issue. This is a general issue. So, right, right, right. Um, I, I'm going to tell the Rick Scott story just because it, it's we were discussing it off air, and it, it's so bizarre. It's great. This is this is our job. It is you know I I I'd obviously been been writing about Florida State in the playoff, and uh, I had heard that Rick Scott would be willing to talk with me, and he had a window Wednesday at like eight twenty in the morning. Well, my kid's bus. The scheduled pickup time is eight twenty one. Of course it is. <laughs> so and I'm, I can't. You know, yeah, make Senator Scott wait. No, in this business, you you take the call when you need to take the call. Yep. So you know, instead of walking the dog to the bus stop, I drove there. So I, at least I could be in the car where it's quiet, and you know, the phone rings, and and we're we're doing all that. And my kid, God, God bless him, he did a fantastic job of just being calm and quiet and not like a crazy six-year-old for a change. Um, and then at, at one point, uh, Senator Scott said something like, he mentioned his grandkid and, and said, I, I don't know if you have kids. And well, I, actually, sir, my, my <laughs> six-year-old is up here in the front seat next to me. And, and my, my kid was like lying on the floor at that point. He just kind of looks up at me and waves. And I said, well, he's, he's waving to you right now. And, and Senator Scott says, well, well, tell him I said hello. Uh, oh, hey, hey, buddy, uh, Senator Rick Scott says hello. I, sure I say does. that to my first grader. Like, mm-hmm. this is a completely normal thing that happens to everybody. Take that to show and tell. Yeah, there you yeah, go. And, and I'm, I'm sure my kid was ecstatic because, of course, he knows what a U.S. senator is. Um, so that's just that's just a window into how absurd <laughs> our job is. And then, you know, I went from there and uh, ended up going to Amelie Arena for the volleyball stuff. And I'm taking a phone call from an antitrust attorney while sitting on the floor trying to like be quiet away from the volleyball practice like it's our job is so insane and and you and i were commiserating because people don't understand i'm not complaining i just think it's kind of funny to look back on um okay actual meat of the conversation here um so yeah uh, attorney general ashley moody is uh started in an, an antitrust investigation into the playoffs. So officially she sent what was essentially a civil subpoena to the playoff asking for a bunch of information and a bunch of documents. So I'm going to boil it. I, I don't know anything about antitrust. Um, so I called up some antitrust attorneys who spoke, you know, explained it to me like I was my six-year-old son. So I'm going to explain it a, a little bit because I think this, I mean, Look, when, when the state attorney general is looking into this, it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to spend a couple minutes kind of uh, t- talking it through. So the important thing to know about antitrust is the whole thing is competition, right? Our free market economy works because we are competing against other people and our widgets and, and the, the, the economy is open. My widget company doesn't have an advantage over your widget company. Other Fair, than my fairness, are- yes. It's fairness and yeah, supposedly. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you, you get into it if there's issues where that fairness, that free trade doesn't happen. Right. And um, so that's what this is about with the playoff. What does that have to do with it? Well, it's the idea. Again, this is an idea. This is an established fact. There's no evidence to, to suggest this that I have seen. But it's the idea that there's the competitors. So the people in the playoff c- committee yep. were conspiring, uh, colluding, or trying to have a monopoly in terms of who would actually be in the playoffs. So they were doing something, there were some shenanigans mm-hmm. uh, to downgrade Florida State 
and to lift up a competitor, Alabama or Texas, depending on who you want to view it. And so that's kind of the, the root of this. And there's a couple ways that are this is being looked into. Um, again, one is kind of collusion. And the way I think about that, somebody gave me this example. Um, several years ago, about 20 years ago, Florida State wanted a medical school. And they said, okay, we're going to start a med school. And, and there's a process. You have to do X, Y, and Z. And they did X, Y, and Z. And then at the end of it, they go to the board, the governing body that says, yes, you can have a med school. No, you cannot. And they said, no, you cannot have a med school. And Florida State is like, wait a second here. What, what, did, what did we do? We did literally everything we were supposed to do. What's going on? So then there was going to be an antitrust investigation or lawsuit thinking that there were some shenanigans because somebody didn't want Florida State to have a med school. So that's kind of the collusion thing, right, where we are the governing body. We determine who has access to this. We don't want you. Um, and then the other part of this is, is a monopoly where there's uh, a, a group of people who kind of control uh, an industry. And the way somebody explained that to me is if you look at dentists, um, Go back however many years when all those like teeth whitening companies that popped up. Um, somebody had to figure out who gets to be teeth whiteners. And the dentists were able to, to have some kind of control over that, the Dentist Association. And they determined that dentists were the only ones who could do it. Well, they're keeping a monopoly on all this stuff, even though you probably don't have to be a dentist to do this. So that example is kind of in the group of five versus power five thing. Is there some something going on where the power five power brokers have been able to do something to keep out the group of five to some degree? So these are the kind of conversations uh, kind of these are the things that um, the documents that are requested uh, will kind of shed some light on. And it's important to note here, too, that. The playoff has to give this stuff. They have to give information about uh, the rec recusal process, how the money's distributed, communications with ESPN and the SEC and this, that, and the other, all that stuff that has to, they, they have to provide that or they have to go to court to try and show a good reason why this they should not. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if they don't, then they could be held in contempt of court. So um, there's definitely been a lot of politicking, a lot of yelling, a lot of grandstanding because that's what politicians do. Again, that's not a red or blue issue. That's just anyone with a brain sees this stuff. Um, but there's some teeth here with this investigation. And, you know, the first date is for to start providing stuff is December 26th. We'll see whether that happens or whether there's, you know, lawsuits or more conversations. And I think January 11th, I think it is, is the date where this stuff is supposed to be provided. And again, we'll see if there's more conversations about that as well in terms of the longer timeline or yeah, what if we don't give you x but we give you y and it's you know at the end of the day it's not going to put florida state in the playoff that that's not happening but it is kind of you know shedding some light potentially on how this process happens and um if nothing else it's politicians trying to depending on how you look at it stand up for florida and florida state and in the citizens or pander to the base Either way, uh, I'm all in. I, I, I love this kind of conversation sometimes, even if it, it might serve a political uh, purpose more than an actual one. But uh, but it's good discussion uh, anyway. I'll, I'll leave you on this, uh, Matt, unless you have something else you want to bring to the table. I'm completely open. It's it's our, our show. But uh, uh, basically, uh, you had a chance to happen by, for various reasons, the NCAA Women's Volleyball Final Four. I watched this on TV and was fascinated by it. I thought the level of play was incredible. It it seemed like they sold 19,000 seats. I mean, 
I know we've had other championships here before, the Frozen Four and others, and, and they said really nice things about Tampa. What was this like when, when you were in the arena? What was that what was that excitement like? It felt like a championship event. I mean, that's mm. the the easiest way I can say it. I mean, it's it's yeah. not it didn't have the feel of like a national championship and, and it can't because, you know, it's it's nineteen thousand, twenty thousand people versus sure. seventy five, seventy, seventy yeah. five thousand. Like it's it's not gonna be the same. Um but what I can compare it to is I've been to a Frozen Four. I remember I covered one of the semifinal games that not the last time it was here, but the time before. Mm-hmm. And I covered the women's basketball Final Four when here when it was here in 2019. That's right. Yeah, it was a better atmosphere to me than the Frozen Four. Wow! And it was every bit as intense as the the Notre Dame Baylor women's basketball. That's cool. Championship. Yeah. I mean, it's it was loud. It was electric. It was exciting. The play was fantastic. Incredible, yeah. Down there on the front row. The, I mean, these 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 women are are tall and powerful and quick. And mm-hmm. I mean, the ball comes at you fast. And mm-hmm. you you see it on TV, but you see it more when you're there up close the way I, I had the chance to do it. Now, I mean, I'm very glad I got a chance to kind of check it out just because, I mean, volleyball is growing uh, in terms of um, – in terms of popularity in a couple of ways, it's growing in terms of participation at the grassroots level. It's growing in terms of TV viewership. I mean, I think it the semifinals were up something like 52% year over year. And the, the national championship match, I think it was 1.7 million people watched that on ABC on, on NFL Sunday. Goodness. That, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good number. And, and you know, it's 19,000 and change uh, both days in, in Tampa. So, yeah, it's it's a sport that's growing, and, I'm, and I can see why. And, you know, I, I had a chance to sit down with NCAA President Charlie Baker but before the championship match, and he was very bullish on the sport long term, and, and I can see why. Yeah, no, it's it was really cool. I, I enjoyed watching it just on television, and I sort of, you know, got a, a, a better idea of, of what, the ratings were and, and the fact that uh, a lot of people over, what would you say over a million people tuned into this thing? Yeah. I think it was, it was 1.1 1. 1 for each of the semis and wow. 1.7, uh, but there are about 1.7 million for the championship. Yeah. I mean, that's outstanding. Yeah. Wow. And, and the, again, the atmosphere was fantastic. I mean, Nebraska traveled extremely well as, as you would expect. And, and Texas had a good amount of people there too. And, um, yeah, just a, just a fun event. And honestly, that's one of the cool parts about being in Tampa to me is the kind of random stuff that you get, uh, and, and this job in particular, you know, it, I know I'm going to cover football games and some of them are going to be really big and I'm excited to do the Orange Bowl here in, what a week and a half, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Got to get to the, that finish line. Um, but the 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 random stuff in here too, the Frozen Fours and the Women's Final Four are coming back in in a couple of years, and uh, March Madness will be here in 2026. And then volleyball. That's one of the cool things about this this community is Tampa really does do big events. Well, I mean, j- just talking to some of the coaches about it, they had been to you know the. the the, the Wisconsin coach and Nebraska coach and Texas coach I know had been there at their stops for for twenty something years. They've been in this event all sorts of places, but uh, and they said you could kind of tell the ones that have done it big stuff before and the ones that haven't. And Tampa has done this stuff before. We you know the, the community does it just about every year, and 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 it shows with just all the kind of little details that make it a, a, a memorable experience. And and you know it's definitely something I'm going to remember. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, Rob Higgins and those guys do a great job over there. Uh, and hopefully we'll get many more championships to come. Uh, he's Matt Baker. Speaking of championships, he will be at the Orange Bowl. Uh, that's Saturday, December 30th at 4 o'clock, Georgia, against Florida State. And I am then... not opting out. I just want to watch that rumor. I am <laughs> well, not opting yeah, out. That would be that would be a, a shock to all of us if you did that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> there might be a couple that do and have already. And then, uh, of course, uh, we wait for New Year's Day with Alabama and Michigan at 5 and then followed by Texas and Washington at 845. I, I think this is going to be uh, the semifinals in the, in the past have not been that close. I think that might change this year. I think I these are so. going to be, I mean, that's why they did it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, good, bad or ugly. And that's not a wrong thought process, but I, I really hope that they are competitive. Now, I can see Texas, I think Washington can't hang with them, but Texas talent, maybe that wins out and makes that one not competitive. But Alabama, Michigan, I think that's going to be a slobber knocker. Yeah, really is. Two physical teams there. He's Matt Baker. Hey, Matt, thanks so much. We appreciate the time. Uh, Good luck, and uh, let us know what other uh, U.S. senators you talk to next time. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do. It'll be a a lot. Thank you. (laughs) All right, my thanks to Matt Baker. Always great to talk to him. Of course, we got lots of uh, bowl action coming up here soon, as well as the national semifinals on January 1st. We'll be talking to Matt more about that as we go forward, find out what happens on recruiting day as well, uh, first national signing day on Wednesday. You can check out Matt's coverage of that and uh, in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. We'll be at One Buck Place as the Bucks begin preparation for their game against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday at Raymond James Stadium. As we speak, Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol. We don't know what his status will be, but he has never missed a game in high school, college, or the NFL, so that will be something to watch closely. Uh, And we'll have a chance again maybe to talk to Todd Bowles about the Stevan White situation, what really occurred. Uh, Is it what everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean myself, other outlets, and Richard Sherman are saying actually happened. Uh, And and hopefully uh, Devin White is given every opportunity to, to get tell his side as well if there is something different so we'll be out there and talk to those guys in baker mayfield as well appreciate you guys listening as always for steve burstick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum.